Hey everybody, welcome to the Afterword Podcast. I'm Dave Tish. The Afterword is our weekly podcast where we talk about what we didn't actually get to talk about in the weekend message. And this is the third and final week of Compassion Immersion, our series where we talk about the global work that God's doing across the globe and also right here in the Bay Area. And as usual, there's just two much to talk about. So this week's podcast is actually going to be split in to two different podcasts, two, two for the price of one. That's exactly right. You will pay no more money than you normally would. And this week we're going to have two podcasts. This is the first one in which I interview one of our missionaries that we support and have supported for years now, more than a decade, Roxanne Robbins, who's the director and founder of Tukatana Ministries that works with the most vulnerable populations in Uganda and East Africa. Roxanne shares about how she ended up doing that. And she also shares some heartbreaking and difficult situations that are happening right now in Uganda because of the pandemic. And at the end, she invites us to participate with her. So this is not your ordinary podcast. Oh, no. This is this is like a souped-up pod. This is a special podcast where you're not just invited to listen, but at the end, you're going to actually be invited to help change the world, literally help make a difference in people's lives. And uh, it's it's not even that hard. You can just do it from the comfort of your own home. It's it's amazing. So very little effort, incredible impact. It's uh, it's just not your ordinary podcast. It's a super, super podcast, It like a super burrito. It's got extra sour cream and cheese and extra guac. That's not the way podcasts work, but you get the point. It's going to be super cool. And then later on in the week, I'm actually going to have a continuing conversation with Steve Clifford, who spoke at our Saratoga campus, about our missionary that we, every year during CI, we highlight um, a missionary, somebody who in Christian history made a dramatic impact on the way that Christians across the globe have thought about missions, what it means to love our neighbor, what it means to bring the kingdom of God uh, to the outer reaches of the world. This year, we focused on Leslie Newbegin, who was, um, he's British, but he also spent 40 years in India, and he came back to Britain, and he realized his home country had changed dramatically. Newbegin began writing uh, missiologically, ecclesiologically, and theologically about what it means um, to be a people who embody Jesus in his home nation of England, which had turned very secular. And so it's very interesting because uh, the 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 implications for us today are pretty obvious. So we're going to spend a little bit more time later in the week. I'm going to have a conversation about Leslie Newbegin with Steve. That's going to drop a little bit later in the week. So look for that. So again, there's just so much going on. You can barely keep up and I can barely keep up. It's going to be great. So like, look for that. But right now, let's dive into our conversation with Roxanne Robbins and stick around because you're going to find out how you can make a real impact. I mean, you can literally help save some lives. So pretty exciting opportunity. So stick around for that. But first our conversation with Roxanne Robbins. Let's go. Well, welcome to the afterword. Uh, super excited here, here with Roxanne Robbins. Roxanne, one of our supported missionaries, have been for years. And Roxanne, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, just kind of the organization, the nonprofit that you work for and with, and and then we'll get into the backstory because I think the backstory is interesting, and then we'll talk about the current story. So we'll do a little bit of the history, but we'll get into it um, with that. So tell us a little bit about your uh, your nonprofit that you started. Okay, hello everyone. I uh, started a nonprofit called Tukutana, which means working together with hope. Three Swahili words combined, and those words mean that. And I have uh, started this 
organization about, I think about 14 or 15 years ago, not good with math, um, and have been serving in East Africa um, for the past, since 2007. You say East Africa, but it started in Uganda, didn't in it? In Uganda, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. so that's, are you allowed to say that? Or yes, are we, are absolutely. We, I didn't know if we were allowed to <laughs> yeah. say where the location yeah. was. All, the, all these uh, East African countries are sure. definitely things you can be But there's about. obviously mm-hmm. some, some blending of that. Now, let's yeah. talk about, um, well, let's talk about your background. Like, where did you grow up? Born in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, okay. Uh, and lived in Florida until college and went to Auburn University. I see. In Alabama. Yep. Wanted to get far from home, and Alabama seemed really far. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, geographically, it's not. It's, it's, it's but, not now. I'm like, it just, it, you know, at the time, I was like, I want something different than okay. Florida, and ended up in Alabama. Loved it. I ran track and cross country at Auburn, and I worked in sports. And you tournament. were a D1 athlete? I was a D1 athlete. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. See, this is brand new information. <laughs> and, yeah, I ran at Auburn and worked in sports information. Oh, sure. Did, you know, everything I did there was sports You've and You've always loved sports. It's just, it's part of part of who you are. Yeah, I, that's what I, that used to be my thing. Like, my, my prior to moving to Africa, I was in sports. Okay, in so sports. you go to college, you graduate mm-hmm. from Auburn, uh, and then, and then, uh, like, what year are we talking about here? Oh, uh, we don't talk years. We don't talk years. No, okay, I'm no. so sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. How old were you when when you, when you, <laughs> le- and then you left Auburn, and then when'd you go? Um, I left Auburn and worked with Athletes in Action, sports oh. ministry. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so Jesus is part of your story already? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so how, from when a did, young age. When that happened? Just, uh, seven, seven years old is when I, you know, I think... Um, you know, kind of prayed <laughs> to receive Christ so in my par- heart. But I were your parents Christian? Um, they were church going. I see. Yeah, church going. And then I had a neighbor, Mrs. Walton, like the Walton family, oh, um, six kids, and she was very inf- influential in my spiritual growth. Right. But really, I think the biggest thing for me was just a just a hunger. I, from a very young age, had a real hunger to know God and know His Word, and was an avid reader. So, hmm. just spent a lot of time reading my. Bible starting pretty young, like seven, um, and you know, asking questions and seeking seeking right. growth. Right. Yeah. So you graduate, you start to work for a nonprofit, um, right? Yeah, athletes in action. Athletes in action. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so I wanted you're, to go into I went into sports because I I in high school um, you know was running track and cross country and I was at a FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting. Sure. And I heard a local broadcaster, she came to our meeting and she shared her testimony for her faith in Christ. And I went home that night. So I was, a, you know, I was, I think a junior, yeah. junior in high school, uh-huh. maybe sophomore. And I went home that night and I prayed, you know, about like kind of God's future from, you know, what he had for my life. And I thought, I'm going to go into sports ministry. Like that is, you have the media, which reaches so many people, and then also sports, which is a like a common language you can sure. talk to anybody sure. about sports and, and build relationships and everything so I went into it for that reason and I started as a senior in high school I interned at ABC Sports and oh. um, local Tampa ABC sure. Sports so I just went to two classes a day <laughs> in high school my senior year and then I went to the TV station um, the rest of the afternoon and uh, the Tampa and, affiliate. And they were cool with this, this, your high school. Yeah, it was like an official program. Wow. I don't think they have it anymore. It was, I was the only one that, it was like an internship program, but yeah. I was the only cool. one that had a TV one. And um, and the sports department took me under their wing. And so 
I mean, I was hanging out on the NFL sidelines, flying in their helicopter to interview Olympians, Whoa. like swimmers at different places, and the, you know, baseball, spring training, hanging out in the dugouts. With Not our to be a fanboy, but who is <laughs> who's probably one of the more famous athletes that you have personally interviewed or met? Well, I think, I mean, I've done a lot with sports, and so I've met a lot of athletes. But just because he announced his retirement today, I would say Tom Brady was oh, one of the, wow. you know, what. Um, but that's just top of mind. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So, um, let's, let's keep going through the story. Um, cause we're not at Africa yet. No. We're still in Florida and the <laughs> South and Auburn. Uh-huh. So then what happens, um, in, in your life? Well, when I, I was really involved with, um, had a radio direct, director of the sports station at, at the Auburn, Auburn sports and, um, was announcer for Auburn women's gymnastics. And I, uh, Worked with sports information. Sure. And I really interned again with ABC Sports. I thought that that was going to be the direction that I would go. Um, and I really wanted to go into a secular arena. Um, and I I don't know if I want this to air or not, but I'm going to share it. I had a youth pastor who at my church in Florida who discouraged me as a young woman from going into sports. Kind of said, oh, that's not a, the media is no place for a, a Christian woman. And I really think of, you know, it's interesting how people can shape, you know, kind of our direction where I felt like the Lord was really opening doors for me and that, but then I, I kind of started going, oh, should I, should I do this or should I not do it? And, um, and kind of, it was a turning point, you Mm. know, to, to figure that out as a Christian woman navigating, um, sports, you know, sports at that time. Um, and I ended up. Um, going with athletes in action. So I went and, and stayed in sports, but went the cr- a Christian direction, like the ministry, Christ, Christ, the ministry direction. Yeah, yeah. Now athletes in action did give me a lot of, um, they allowed me to, um, be part of different, um, I guess opportunities. Like for example, I was a press manager for the Olympic village. So I was employed by athletes in action, but, uh, worked with the Olympic committee, as like press, in Atlanta in 96? Yeah, in 96, I was a press manager for the village. So wow. I, inside the Olympic village and worked with the athletes. And then I was an official chaplain in the 98 Olympics in Nagano. And That's the Winter Olympics. The Winter Olympics, yeah. Yep. I did summer and winter. Wow. And did a lot of you know journalism with the NFL with oh, um, cool. and with the Olympic Committee. Yeah. So so you're moving into this. You're doing ministry in, ath- in, the, in the athletic world. Mm-hmm. And then... What happens? Well, I ended up moving to Washington, D.C. Um, our family had a home up there. And uh, and so I just, I moved up there and started to, um, you know, kind of try to figure things out. Do I want to stay in sports or not? And was introduced to, like, to politics. I don't really, I did not understand that whole culture until I moved to Washington. And Ended up doing some unique things while I was there. Like, um, I'm just going to give one example. I um, was, because of my relationships with so many athletes, um, the White House Christian Fellowship asked if I would help, um, you know, bring in athletes for the weekly White House Christian Fellowship. I mean, they didn't have an athlete speaker every week, but when they did, I helped um, with that, and I got real involved. And then I started going to the White House Christian Fellowship, and... um, and I was in a Bible study with a group of women who met in the White House every week. And 
and during that time, I learned about International Justice Mission. And I, it was a, or is um, an organization that um, works with local law enforcement around the world and provides legal um, lawyers and investigators to combat child sex trafficking and um, bonded slavery. And that was something I had never heard of, um, was, was pe- people that were, and Christians that were um, really fighting um, on behalf of the oppressed, severely, severely oppressed in this case. And, um, and, and children, harmed. and often and, children yeah, and women. Yeah. yeah, children and women. And it was a real turning point for me coming from sports. Um, and I ended up working with IJM. It, it was a big switch for, switch for me going from sports into, I was director of public affairs for them. And then that took me into some developing countries where I witnessed new and hard um, things. And, um, and that, I think it really changed, definitely changed the direction of my career and my focus. Um, so going to the continent of Africa, seeing the things that you saw, yeah. working with IGM, seeing the conditions, seeing the injustice really mm-hmm. shifted something inside you in the, which you were changed forever. You're not going to go back to sports, you're going to stay in this in this field in some way. Yeah, I, I had a, a resentment that I had worked in sports. I felt like, what was I doing so focused on celebrities? You know, I, I just, um, I had, it took a while to really process that. And I, I, I also wondered, does God show favoritism? You know, you can be a Christian and an athlete and have all these worldly comforts and be a Christian. And it just was... And then, then there's the poorest of the poor who I, like, this just, it, I really wrestled with the whole fairness, the concept of, you know, what is God doing? And um, and I, I was embarrassed that I had put so much of my, um, I guess, <laughs> in energy and thoughts into celebrity. You know, it's the whole profile ministry. If you are famous, then you can reach more people. Right. And... Now I've come, you know, grown into understanding that there is importance and there's um, influence, a pl- influence yeah. and a place, a place for both. But the, what for me, I, I remember very vividly, I was volunteering in um, Uganda and I was at an internationally IDP camp, internationally dis- or internally, I mean, not internationally, internally displaced persons camp. So you're, you've lost your home, your whole your people have lost their homes and you're in a refugee camp, but you're in a refugee camp in your own country. That's what, that's what because that was. Because of civil war? Because, because of civil war yeah. in the North in Uganda. Um, and so I was at this camp and this IDP camp and the children, you know, like they do with all Western visitors. It's not just celebrities. It's not just me. It's any Western visitors. They'll, they'll typically be surrounded by, by children. And they were looking up at me and they were kind of following me around this camp. And, um, and I've, was looking in them, looking in their eyes, and I think it was the strongest sense I've ever had of the Holy Spirit speaking to me, you know, in a way that it was, um, I love them. I love these children. I deeply love them. Come love them with me. You felt like God was saying to you in yeah. that moment, I love these children. I love these children. And, and I deeply, and I want yeah. you to partner with me and love them. Like yes. I love them. Mm-hmm. And it was a, tr- it was a big thing for wow. me because I think the Lord knew how much I was wrestling with 
how deep is his love right. for people that are hurting like this? Right. You know, is it is it different? Have and you it, abandoned them, God? Because yeah. the conditions and yeah. there's civil war, and this mm-hmm. is a refugee camp, and they're they don't even have a house or a home. This yeah. is a temporary shelter. So right, and the and the conditions wow. were just so bad. But he, it wasn't about me. I mean, the latter part was the come live love them with me part. But it was really for me. It was like the Lord saying, "I love them. This isn't even up for debate. I wow. love them. Wow. You know, this is a." I, I love them. And so I had heard that a lot of people make emotional decisions, especially in a situation like that, where you see this and, and they kind of give up everything and then they'll move over there. And so, um, I went home, went back to the, to, to the U S and I prayed for, uh, and just kind of waited. Uh, I didn't have a plan. Um, but I prayed about it and, it just got stronger every day. Oh my. Like I was supposed to move to Africa and I had no desire to live overseas. And so this was a big thing for me, but it was just so clear. Um, right. There's emotional yeah. decisions, which can be like guilt and mm-hmm. weird amounts of like shame, but it's a little different when you're pretty convinced it's God's voice himself inviting you into a thing. It and is. You, and you took it some is. time to make sure that you had, you <laughs> yeah. heard right. Uh-huh. And, and that was ratified when you were back in, in the States. Yes. And it was, I had no, it was almost like I was not even in the U.S. Like I couldn't function. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it because now, you know, it, right. it seems so different. But at the time I could It couldn't. was like your heart was still over there. Yeah, my heart was, was there. there. I couldn't, um, <laughs> I couldn't, um, I just was no longer able to really engage and in, in what I had been part of before here. And so was there a place for you over in Uganda for you to serve in these camps? No. So it's not like the organization you were with wasn't like inviting you into it. There was just not quite anything there. But how did you get back to Uganda if there's not a place for you? Yeah, there was no place for me. So there was a, a man named um, Dr. Mel Cheatham, who is a neurosurgeon and he did a lot of volunteer work um, in the medical profession with, Samaritan's person. I had gotten to know him over the years, and and his wife, and kind of medical missions. Yeah, he was in medical missions, which is so far from anything that I. You're not a doctor. Not a doctor. So if I had friends that were interested in medical missions, I'd say, oh, talk to Dr. Cheatham. So for years, I had been kind of helping people find their way to Africa through Dr. Cheatham, (laughs) and so I called Dr. Cheatham and I said, Dr. Cheatham, for the last eight years. I've been, you know, sending people to Africa through you. I said, now I'm supposed to go. What do I do? And he said, um, call this man. And he had me call Kenny Isaacs, who is vice president for Samaritan's Purse. (laughs) And so I called Kenny and we talked a couple hours and he um, offered me a job with Samaritan's Purse. And they kind of created a position for me sure. in Uganda because that's really where my heart was. I, I was open to going kind of anywhere in East Africa, but they, but I but really. But that's where, that's where the Lord had spoken to you. Yeah, yeah. So you're it like, was, I'm going to go um, to Uganda. Yeah. So, so anyhow, um, I ended up working with Samaritan's Press on a two-year contract and um, launched a program for them called Orphan Care Equip Project. Are and we allowed to talk now about years? What year is this? This is we're two, in the two thousands, right? This is two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. <laughs> yeah, okay. two thousand seven. So two thousand seven, I went on a two year contract with Uganda. I mean, with Samaritan's Purse to Uganda, launched a program called Orphan Care Equip Project. Orphan Care Equip. Um, and what o- kind of work o- was o- that? It was um, we 
did needs assessments and um, went to, I went to over, over 200 orphan homes and community-based programs and did assessments on what they were doing. And then we provided training for the orphan care providers because yeah. they're really, a lot of them don't have any, like, for example, we provided, um, I, I partnered with the Red Cross, which is very small in Uganda and provided fire safety, brought in, you know, professionals to teach them um, how to put out fires. There were no fire extinguishers in any of these homes or, or any of the schools. So, um, and it was, it was becoming a real problem um, over there. So we just would kind of see what was needed and then provide training and other resources. Now, there was, was there a spike in orphans because of various, the Civil War, because of <clears throat> internal conflicts, because I, also mm-hmm. the vestiges of the AIDS crisis that had ravaged parts of Africa there, or uh, what was Yeah, what there, was a, there was a spike in orphan orphans, and then there's there's two things, I think, going on there. There are legitimately orphans that had no place to go. Sure. And then I think um, there's also... Um, orphan homes that probably don't need to be in existence where children have a parent and could be with their family, but they, they might find that they could get, um, maybe it could help the family out if their child went to an orphan home. And I think that that's, that's a whole other topic, but you know, that we like my organization and our hope was that children would be reunited with their families, not to be in, in orphan homes and to kind of help people discern the difference between, Right. that need and um, and su- understanding that there's ways of supporting children without um, having them in it. So you move from Florida mm-hmm. in the United States to Uganda. Yeah, from Washington, D.C. at that point, yeah. <clears throat> in the middle of a refugee camp and then back to orphanages. Were you overwhelmed by the, the, the human need and the amount of work that needs to be done? Because it seems like that would be... That's going from zero, not to 60, but to like a hundred. That's so much. It was, it was a lot to, it was a lot. I ended up um, taking care of a little boy that I met in a clinic. Um, I thought he had an eye infection and I arranged, this is shortly after I moved there. Right. I arranged for him and his father, brought them to, um, into the city, into Kampala from a village into Kampala to get his eye biopsied. And I thought, oh, he'll get some antibiotics and he'll be fine. Well, he had cancer. He had childhood uh, um, acute lymphomyoma, ALM. I forgot. But he, um, I ended up uh, with a man who's now my program manager. Um, we took care of this little boy and I entered into the pediatric cancer ward and saw some really hard, hard things. Um, Man. And I think I wasn't prepared. I was not children prepared for suffering that. Children suffering. Children suffering. It can't, yeah. it, uh, it just, it's the worst. Yeah. And I, it did, it really, really took a toll on me spiritually. It took a toll on me um, physically, like just the whole, I was, I was in there every day when I wasn't at work with Samaritan's Purse. I went in before work and I went in after um, for, for several months until that little boy died and um, died of cancer. But I, um, I think that's something like kind of leading into Westgate, um, Westgate as a church and as a compassion team um, recognized that that what I was entering into was very difficult and really helped me 
by standing with me as I processed all this. So hold on. We don't even know how you got, how, how, are, got you to Westgate? how are you attached to Westgate at this yeah. point? Because I've yeah. heard Florida and D.C. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about San Jose, California. I so know. We're, you, my story is so all over well, the no. place. So but, how, did um, you, how did you find, or how did Westgate find you? How did you find yeah. Westgate? How did this relationship start? Yeah, this, the relationship started, um, so I was nearing the end of my time with Samaritan's Purse and um, desired to remain in Uganda. So I knew, and and I was living in a community surrounded by Ugandans. I wasn't in an expat community. And so there were no ministries in the community where I was. So I wanted to, to serve those people. So ended up um, launching to Kutana, which is what I've been doing for the past, or I guess since 2009. And um, I was in the process of getting ready to start it. And I also was in the process of adopting a child <laughs> and a Ugandan child who um, loved soccer. So the um, director of Major League Soccer Ministries is a friend of mine. Um, and he said, and we were uh, was, you were connected back in the sports world that you yeah, yeah I had yeah. this right which sure. I had kind of tried to shove aside sure. I, I was sure. trying to shove aside but this but then I had a son or I was about to adopt a son who liked soccer so I was like oh yeah there's that part of my life I can kind of revisit this and um and we and I had kept in touch with this man who's director of major league soccer ministries and he helps he puts the chaplains in place with the MLS teams around the country so I said something to him about how we were going to be visiting friends in um, Northern California. I told him that we were going to be coming out here. And he said, oh, while you're there, you should meet the chaplain for the San Jose earthquakes. And that was John Talbot. Oh, yeah. So the I started at Westgate Church. Yes. So I started communicating from Uganda with John and I, like about soccer is sure. what I was talking to him about. And like, we're going to be in town. And and, um, you know, Jim Schmicky said we should meet and have you meet my son. And so John told me about Westgate, and he said, oh, while you're in town, you should come over and meet Kayvon with our Kayvon Tarani, with our compassion team. And I was like, okay, you know. Well, it ends up that my friends that we were staying with literally are a half a mile away from the Saratoga campus. So, like, walking distance, because I didn't have a car. We would just come. <laughs> and so so we could, so Waswa and I um, came over. Waswa is now. Is now my son. Your uh-huh. adopted son. Yes. Th- uh-huh. There's a whole story there, but yeah, we'll uh-huh. have to have you come back and tell the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a long story, that's a good and story. And it's a cool story. Yeah, yeah. especially in West- Westgate's involvement in his life and my life right. as his mom. But, yeah, so we came over. Um, I think he was seven or, seven or seven eight or eight. Or eight. Yeah. Seven or yeah. eight. And then um, that's how we got plugged in. Like, I wasn't seeking, like, um so you start talking to Kayvon and say, hey, I'm starting this thing. Mm-hmm. They helped me know how to start it, like to lay a foundation and. Um, Come up with a plan, a ministry yes, action uh-huh. plan and all those things. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, and then the ministry and our relationship with Westgate has grown um, significantly. The, yeah, over the last 13, <laughs> yeah. 13 uh-huh. years. 13 yeah. years, yeah. That's crazy. So um, Westgate begins partnering with you. That's how we, we, we connect with you. Mm-hmm. So you start this ministry, and what were you trying to do initially with the ministry? I know serve Ugandan nationals, the people in your in your community, mm-hmm. but like serve them how and doing what, and then what did it morph into? Well, I you know was living in that community, um, and I lived in the same community in just outside of Kampala for seven years, and so we looked at what the needs were in that immediate community. Um, 
and and we are small. You know, we're not going to have the same type of a, a maybe a global action plan like with poverty alleviation, like other larger ministries, which sure. could talk about later, maybe. But we we do partner with larger organizations um, to fill in some gaps. You know, where we're not able to meet needs, but we. I just looked at people around me, so I kind of I think I approached it as if like the parent would with their own child. Yeah. Right. You look at you. You um, don't look into numbers and go, well, this is what you know needs to be done from a numbers or community perspective. I would look at like each child and say, you know, like um, so and so needs this. So and so and so needs this. So and so needs this educational right. thing. So and so needs right. this. Yeah. And I was looking, almost like personal advocacy. It was, yeah, and I think that's what it was. It was and still is, and. Um, but like for example, we had the kids always came to our compound to play, and and we had a, a wall with you know razor wire, but we had a big not a big but we had a grass front yard. It, the grass went away from the kids playing on it, but it turned <laughs> into dirt. Um, I had to have it resawed when I moved. But um, the the um, children were there all the time, and I wanted to find something structured, you know, something for them to have. Like I would with with my own son, like sure. swimming lessons or whatever it is. You know, you want your child to just to be able to develop and learn skills and have people investing in them. Right. So I had a hard time finding anything in Uganda. Like there's soccer, but it's not really organized. Surprisingly, there aren't that many teams for young kids. Right. And definitely not for girls, young girls. And then, um, you know, there's there's children's choirs, lots of children's <laughs> choirs. But so I actually there was a golf course golf club in Uganda so I uh, went to the golf club and said I have some kids can we get them to play golf and at first they told me I'm a little no. surprised there's a golf club yeah I know that's, I used to, that's, that's, <laughs> there's, there's a few of them there's like five in the country and they're nice and I, I resented the golf courses at first sure because like how can anybody play golf when there's poverty yeah, when you're so surrounded by poverty right, like, right but then when I saw this could be an opportunity for our children my my viewpoint of the golf course changed um it became an opportunity instead of a you know so i so i went and um worked with the uganda lady golf union and they gave permission for tukutana which is our organization to send kids to a holiday golf camp so we um a, a pga player in the u.s um he uh, he's now retired but um he sponsored our first golf team we got them uniforms and um, so we sent 31 kids to golf camp and, um, just kids from the community. Yeah. Just from the one community. Wow. Yeah. They're, the pictures are really cute. <laughs> they, they had so much fun. The kids loved it. Sure. And, and it's so, probably a beautiful course. Yeah. It's a nice course. And they, 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 um, and it was, it was really fun and, and we're still adult, doing it, but there's adults pouring into them, teaching them. Yeah. It's structured. And it was Ugandans that yeah. were instructing them. That's you so know, it cool. wasn't, it wasn't a Western. It sure. was Ugandan driven, which I really loved. Sure. I mean, you know, it's kind of my idea, but the Ugandans ran with it and they, they really, the leadership, um, at the golf club has and continues to, um, invest in our kids. And I've really, it, it's been really great to see. Um, so two of our girls, this is uh, this is pretty amazing. Two of our golfers have made the Uganda Junior National Team. Wow! So they got to represent Uganda um, in Morocco. They just found this is something they love and they're good at. And yeah, and they're good at yeah, it. And, you know, awesome. and kids don't get a lot of opportunities. And so just no, right. by investing, I mean that's what's amazing is there's so much talent. You know, anywhere sure. in the world, you've got talent. But to it's have what, a you know, to have that developed is, is yeah. really neat. And to have yeah. it cultivated and sure. have a place for them. And then parents were you know getting. Um, 
regardless of the level or the their kids' abilities, the care, the parents were seeing their children and kind of in a new light. Like, sure. like, oh, this, you know, my child is good at something or enjoys something. And they started to engage in that way. And we found that, um, you know, parents were even working harder to help their kids with their education as their kids were playing golf. And it wasn't, you know, our kids aren't going pro, um, at least not at this point. But, you know, but they were playing. I remember we took some parents down to the golf course once, and um, or actually several times, but one time I was with them and uh, there was a father, you know, and they were kind of looking around like, what is this, you know, this sport? And they were touching the golf clubs and everything. And, and this father, this young father said to me, he said, I never thought my feet would touch grass in my lifetime. Wow. Yeah, and I just those kind of things that, you know, I just thought we were just were telling our community to that you can and should aspire to more than what you're just seeing around right in your immediate vicinity. So this isn't about golf really at all. Right. It's <clears throat> it's about investment, it's about growth, it's about learning, it's about potential. Mm-hmm. What other needs did you see and begin addressing in those early years and then and in as the ministry morphed and changed? Well, a lot of things with, um, you know, education, um, ministry, widows ministry. Yeah. Um, we mar- helping you know women to provide have markets for their for their goods to earn income. Um, that was something that we really did a lot of focused heavily on. Um, so business development for business the women, development, uh-huh. so that they could have stable income, so they could afford mm-hmm. stuff like school and all the other things. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. We did, you know, and we, we do a lot of partnering with other organizations. Like, for example, there's a ministry called Refuge and Hope. I love this ministry. They they minister to refugees that come into Uganda. Um, and so we provided their refugees, because we had a tailoring program to Katana. So we provided their refugees with tailoring training, and their tailoring program is still running at Refuge and Hope. But the ladies that we trained are still leading that. And it's been like 10 years. They would have our ladies, our tailors come to their organization and get English training. So, to, um, so yeah, so we do a lot of partnering cause we are really, we're really small, but we, by right. partnering and advocating, you know, it can, you can, well, it's interesting though, because if you think about it, I was, I was just thinking Uganda has its, its own poverty issues mm-hmm. and then have refugees who are even poorer and have even less and to have an eye for them and to try to help them is, is a whole other level Mm-hmm. of concern for the least of these it is and uganda has um the last at least the last five years it could be longer than that um but they currently have the largest no, they're the largest number of they're the i don't know if it's per capita but i think they have the largest number of refugees that they've welcomed into the country of anywhere wow. in the world which is really interesting it's a small country but they have people coming in from you know somalia um eritrea um Again, Sudan. places yeah. where there's war and exactly. there's conflict, people fleeing. People fleeing and coming in and, and, coming per, in. and finding refuge in yeah. Uganda. And um, and they tend to, you know, there can be certain things like, I'll give an example. So I'm going to jump over here, but part of something we've started doing with Westgate is drilling wells. Yeah. So let's. For I'm clean t- water. Yes, for clean water. So I'm going to tie one of our well situation into the refugees. So, sure. So we, um, with Westgate, provided three wells, I don't know, it was a couple years ago. We've provided wells together for the past 10 years, but I think it was about three years ago we were specifically focusing on the refugee population that was in the, on the border of South Sudan. Um, and so we're like, oh, well, we'll provide a well for the refugees. Well, then we um, 
learned through a partner, partner organization, um, and the government that if we just provided for the refugees, then the community that was welcoming the refugees was being excluded from having water, right? It's like, well, we're welcoming them, but we don't have a well of our own. So we had to make sure that for every well we provided for refugees, we were also meeting the needs of the local community and the local Ugandan people. Sure. And so those are kind of things that you have Double to constantly. Double wells, yeah. Yeah, you have to kind of always navigate <laughs> sure. really how to, to how to meet needs and also be fair. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and navigate all those realities. Mm-hmm. Now let's move to now because there's a couple of interesting things happening. Speaking of wells, mm-hmm. um, there was just a big offering called the, the, the giving good campaign over this past year. Mm-hmm. And uh, more than 750,000 came in and that's all for Amazing. clean water, yeah. which is astonishing. And you're going to be taking some of that money mm-hmm. and drilling wells for the Ugandan people in, in, Part, as part of your ministry. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something. So um, let's talk about what COVID, the pandemic, and the needs you're seeing currently are, because there's some um, pressures and some difficulties that have surfaced in the areas where you serve, where there's some populations that are really hurting right now. And you're trying to do all that you can to alleviate that part of its water, but there's more to the story. Right. So we are very thankful that Westgate contributed um, and is partnering with us. We're going to do 10 wells together. Well, this take time. the money. Take ten, it. Ten take, well, it <laughs> yeah. take it, Roxanne. Take it. It's ten for well, you. 10 wells it's, this year. This <laughs> We did six last year together. Yeah, so that, we've done 36 total with Westgate. Oh, my gosh. And so um, this coming year, we're in 2022, we're going to do 10. Um, and we're doing, I think, um, four in Uganda and six in DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was there this summer um, in Uganda as we were drilling a Westgate well in a place called Buera, Uganda, which is on the western part of, of Uganda. And, you know, I've been serving there now for 15 years. Um, and the poverty has has just become even more pronounced. You know, like a lot of the gains and a lot of the work that has been done for decades to make improvements in the nation, COVID has just wiped out those gains and wiped wiped out the improvements. Um, And a lot of it has had to do with the lockdown, uh, which is very extreme in in Uganda. Um, So it destroyed kind of local markets and wealth creation. Right, right. There's no wealth creation, no markets. um, And... You know, because a lot of the products that the ladies make, they rely on Westerners coming into the country to purchase those products or to bring them back and sell them for them in the right. United States and other Western countries. And that's not happening now. Right. So, um, or they can't get to the market or they don't have their supplies. But for them, you know, they don't have savings. Right. No refrigerators. So their livelihood is affected um, and their health, access to health services. Like, we think it's hard here and it has been hard here. But... It is, it's a whole different degree of hard. Um, to yeah. The suffering is just unfathomable. I mean, when we were there this summer, it was really sobering to see. And, you know, 15 years of serving there, and I've never seen this these types of, of, you know, poverty. And I think I shared with this with you the other day, but, you know, we were at the well that we drilled in Buera. In Buera. Um, it was a very steep hill. And the children are going three miles up and down this hill to get to get water with their with their jerry cans, those yellow jugs that, that we see a lot of pictures of. And they 
are going up and down this hill and they they were so poor that when they lost the caps, if you lose the cap that screws on to the top of the jug, the water will splash out when you're coming back with it. So the children didn't have caps. So they were stuffing the jugs with dirt, like with grass that would have dirt on the bottom or with a banana, something to try to keep the water in. But then the water is even more dirty. They're already getting it out of a dirty source. But then by the time they get home, now they've got dirt and everything. So then they have to filter it on strain it on then boil it. And that's how they're spending their days. Yeah. You know, it's just, just water security, little jug, water jug. Yeah. yeah. Water security. And so, so this is why these, these wells matter. The wells really matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They really change. Yeah. So it was, I think the, you know, like I said, we've done 36 wells and I've been on site for most of the construction. Um, but this time watching the construction and seeing the firsthand what yeah. was going to happen is, yeah. or what it's going to provide is. is but there's another issue. Yeah. And a this hard is, issue. This <laughs> is, and this is even harder. And as yeah. you were sharing it, it was. I felt like that, you know, it's like a slug to your chest. It was like, ugh. And that has to do with young girls. Mm-hmm. So let's, why don't you talk about and share a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, my my staff, which is in Uganda, they're Uganda Nationals, and they um, started kind of crying out to me for, and they're through their weekly reports, and started uh, contacting me and saying, um, we, there are several young women in, in the village where our staff were and are, um, who became pregnant during the lockdown, um, unwanted pregnancies. Or I shouldn't say unwanted. That's not the right word. And un, un, they became pregnant. I don't against their will. Against their will. Against their will. Yeah. Yes. This and is not a choice. They're not married. They're, they're not married. They're, they're young. And um, and I I was actually reading. Um, I've been communicating very closely um, with World Vision. Yeah. Um, who they've done um, reporting and actually have statistics on what's taken place and you know and with the United Nations and everything on what's happened during this lockdown and yeah. the number of teen pregnancies has escalated. I gosh, I, don't, I forgot the percentage, but it is an alarming wow. um, increase in unwed pregnancies because the children aren't when they're not in school, you know, they don't have structure. And they're locked in homes with, and so, and then the chances now of them returning to school become, they were, it was already hard for them to go to school, these girls, but now they're young moms and they've missed two years of school. Uganda had the longest um, school closure in the world. Wow. They just returned to school two weeks ago and, you know, and they had no virtual learning. So it's been a really intense and difficult thing and our staff has been going we need to help these young ladies because they are depressed and they're desperate yeah. they just don't even know how to be a mom at this age sure no. so out of that that concern for these mm-hmm. new teenage mothers what kind of things um did your staff say we need and and then at the end of this we're going to tell people how they can help mm-hmm. All the way across the world, they can help your ministry help these young teenage moms. Mm-hmm. What um, what kinds of things have your staff determined are most needed right now? Well, you know, I was I talked to someone about this yesterday, and and who's Ugandan, and I, um, she was talking about like long term sustainability and job creation, <laughs> and I'm like that all matters, but right now. Because we don't want to just come in and kind of do the Band-Aid approach. But at the same time, sometimes that Band-Aid approach is needed. And right. the offer of hope. Um, right. and being There's no, long-term and then there's, there's short-term. Short-term, long-term, right. short-term. Yeah. And I think right now, 
we're going to have to focus on the short term. Um, we're going to look into long term, but we really, it's, we're going to, um, and working with local churches in each area where we're drilling a well is what we're going to, um, so what we're planning, hoping to do um, is the development of something called Young Moms, Tukatana Young Moms Ministry. will be, um, um, through partnerships, providing resources and trainings Hopefully, with in conjunction with Young Life Africa, and they have something called Young Lives Africa, which is meeting the needs. So, we're not going to try to come in and become sudden experts on this, but we're going to really draw from um, people who have expertise and um, who we can partner with and say and advocate and say we've got people in this community. So, if hopefully maybe you can come in and train, and we'll provide funding for you to get in here. But if you can't, let's get our staff trained so that we can meet the needs. Um, and the this, needs are area. stuff like. Parenting skills. Yeah, parenting skills. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Ministering um, and mentoring these ministry, young girls. Yes, making community. sure they know there's somebody with them. Yes. Long term community commitments in terms yes. of like like almost like a, we have a mothers of preschoolers yes. with mentor moms. It's uh-huh. like it's like mentor moms. It's coming alongside. Good yeah. idea, Dave. Maybe I need, I need to reach out to them. <laughs> That's what we need. We need mentoring moms, and I, you just hit, you're onto something. So this is um, the I think. Yeah, something to where we can and help the communities and help the church say, church know how to move into that role. And the the villages have so many strengths and community. And you know they say it takes a village, but at the same time, when there's an overwhelming number of young children, that they can get lost, and young moms can yeah. get lost in the, um, and kind of almost become invisible. Uh, um, what what else is needed in the uh, short term? You talked about the yeah. short term immediate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the wells will help. Mm-hmm. Because there's that that's a, that's and that's a that's a separate uh, initiative, but it will help. These, it will help a lot. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. you know, the young women are getting the water, carrying the babies right. on their backs, and yeah. and it'll alleviate the time that they need to spend doing that. And the um, and it'll it provides pre- protection when young women aren't having to go three miles through the yes. woods to go get to go get water. But um, so well, the wells are, are are just an enormous provision um, and a very very needed and welcomed provision. But um, also what we're looking at doing is providing um, um, trainings and a fe- like a fellowship, like a mentoring program. And then um, we will, for the girls that complete these trainings, we'll be providing them with some care packages to help them with some of the material needs that they have. Baby blankets. Baby blankets, uh, food. Um, yeah, all those yeah things. some things. And we are going to kind of do, um, I think we're going to do it where and that's going to come on the end of it. Like, sure. you know, you it, when we, after the trainings are completed, we'll right. provide um, some of these tangible, meet some of these tangible needs. But we're hoping to encourage them to really sure. engage and, in the fellowship part of it too. Yeah. Sure. And as, and hopefully as markets open up and job opportunities and trainings Mm -hmm. that, that, but that's down the road right now. That's down the road. Yeah. So if somebody wants to help with this, if they say, listen, I've got a little bit of extra money I I can give to help meet the needs of young girls who are in this situation. How can they help? Um, They can help by visiting our website and making a donation if they want. And, and what's um, that website? It's Tukutana, T-U-K-U. T-A-N-A dot org yep. slash donate. Slash donate. And uh-huh. there's a there's a whole write up and there's a picture and you can there's a donate button uh-huh. and you can see it and they can just donate securely and safely to go right uh-huh. to uh right to that organization and that money will get to the girls. 
And of course, uh, they've already done. Folks at Westgate have already donated for the wells. That's yeah. that that money's coming to you regardless. That's that's already that's happening right now. Yeah, the wells are gonna. The wells are in motion. Right. And and I do want to say. I mean, this might sound I don't know funny, but we we're gonna be providing this in a small. You know, some of the smaller areas in in Uganda. Um, and but I think. You know, if if this is an area of you know these young young moms in general, Tukatana welcomes the help, and of course, always welcomes partnership with Westgate when we do these types of ministries and um, everything we've done in partnership with Westgate so far. The Lord has really blessed and multiplied. Right. Um. I mean, everything really, really multiplied. Like three wells has turned to thirty six wells, right. and um we've we've seen that over and over again and that's the beauty i think of the gospel and the church working to you know the the church working together and having that that local church behind these things and the prayer but also you know look at other ministries too that are meeting you know needs because there's so many cries to help that are coming out right now yeah and i think that would be my biggest encouragement is to say lord help me here to help and know which one that I could possibly be involved in responding to. If somebody has a heart for Uganda, is is moved by your story, uh-huh. uh, is there a, a, an easy email address to get a hold of Tukatana Ministries and and maybe uh, you personally? Uh, yes, you can go to info at tukutana.org. There it is. Boom, and that'll go. That'll get to your mm-hmm. folk. Awesome, Roxanne. First of all, thanks so much for coming on. But more importantly, just as a faith community, we're so inspired. By the work you've done since since 2007, but even before that, um, I'm really grateful that as you stood in that village and God spoke that invitation to you that you responded, and you've been such a faithful covenant partner to God, and we're so inspired by your work, and um, man, it's, it's really cool to see what God's doing, and we look forward to many years of partnership and many years of hearing incredible stories. And, uh, and, and actually I hope, I hope that uh, Wasawa can come out and, uh, <laughs> and more folks can meet him. Cause that his, his story is pretty amazing too. He's an amazing, I would say, I almost said kid the other day and I was like, he's not a kid anymore. He's a man. He's 19. <laughs> he, he is a man in the Naval Academy. And so yeah. it's yeah. exciting. So it's really exciting. So thanks for coming on. And, uh, and if, if there's stuff that emerges, uh, let's stay in touch so that we can learn how to support your ministry and the people that you support. Thanks, Dave. And thanks, Westgate. Just want to say thanks to Roxanne for stopping by and sharing so much, not only of her own life, but also of the needs in Uganda and East Africa. Again, if you want to make an impact, please go to www.tukutana.org. That's T U K U T A N A.org. There's a donate button at the top of the header. Click on that. That takes you right to a place where you can give money easily and securely to support the Young Moms Ministry of Tukutana. Make a difference in not only a young mom's life, but her new baby. It's good. It's easy. Just do it. Just do it right now. It's going to be great. And also, a little later in the week, look for the second part of this week's Afterward podcast, a conversation that I have with Steve Clifford about Leslie Newbegin, who we, whose life we looked at this past week. We'll take a look at this incredible life of Leslie Newbegin and what his teachings, what his writings, and what his philosophies can teach us about what it means to be faithful missionaries in whatever context we find ourselves. And to 
Steve's point, we're all missionaries. Even if you don't call yourself a missionary, we all have a mission. God has a mission and we're participating with him in that. We'll take a look at what we can learn from Leslie Newbegin. So that conversation is going to drop a little later in the week. Until then, we'll see you soon.